sermon podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. Grab your Bibles this morning. We're going to go all over the Bible. We're going to go mostly in the New Testament, guys, but we're, we're, going to, we're going to get into the Word. How many of you guys love the Word of God? How many of you guys are excited to hear a word from the Lord? How many of you guys are ready to receive some food and drink from the Word of God this morning? Amen. Two people are. I'll preach to you. It's all right, man. I'll preach to myself if nobody wants to listen. Uh, I just had this sense as I was praying and thinking and preparing. By the way, uh, the Duncans were able to, to get away with, for a little bit of rest and reprieve, and, and it, was, it was glorious. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we had an opportunity that just shot up out of nowhere. And um, on a Tuesday, I reached out to several friends of mine across the nation and said, hey, I, I've got to get out of Colorado Springs. And uh, I know you guys can help me. And so, man, my buddies were, they were reaching out. They were looking for VRBOs. They were reaching out to congregants. People had mountain condos, beach condos. They were just kind of beating the streets. And then one of my friends came back and said, well, my family has owned property for decades. And uh, it's 20 acres. It's a rustic campground up in North Washington, 10 minutes away from the Canadian border. And he said, uh, there was a group of probably about 20 or 30 people that were supposed to occupy this from Friday to the following Monday. And he says, they just canceled and it's all yours. You don't have to pay anything for it. Just keep it nice and tidy. Help us with the cleaning fee afterwards. And so uh, it's a two day trip up there. And I got this call late uh, in the afternoon on Tuesday. So Wednesday was prep day. We're on the road on Thursday. Uh, much, much props to my father-in-law who was able to uh, take probably a several hour break job and turn that around in a couple of hours and keep his grandchildren safe. He did it for his grandchildren, not for me, which is fine. Uh, but he got the brakes taken care of uh, with the help of his buddies to draw on, and we were on the road, uh, stopped in uh, Montana, arrived in uh, North Shore, Washington, and no cell reception, no Wi-Fi, no televisions. It was glorious. Some of you guys are getting panic attacks right now thinking about those things. <laughs> It was marvelous. And uh, right off the Columbia River, the Columbia River is incredibly glorious. Went fishing every day, caught nothing. Um, but it was still beautiful, just, uh, just fishing and walking slow. And just, here's the thing, honestly, when people ask me about our time, I said, my biggest takeaway is that I was able to say yes to every one of my kids at every given moment of every day for those nine days. Daddy, do you want to play catch? Yes. Daddy, you want to color? Yes. Daddy, you want to play dodgeball? Yes. Daddy, you want to go fishing? Yes. I mean, you want to play cards? Yes. You want to play Uno, Skipbo? It doesn't, I mean, everything they asked, I was able to be fully, fully attentive and fully present to my kids and to my wife. And I'm telling you that that is an indescribable gift. And uh, I'm very, very grateful for it. Um, but I'm excited to be back. It's an honor to preach the word of God to you guys today. So turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of, let's go to the book of Luke. We'll start in Luke chapter 4, and I want to talk with you for a few minutes about cultivating a God consciousness. Cultivating, maybe you can say a God awareness, that in every season, 
and every stage of your life, no matter where you are, we're going to talk about several different seasons and different stages and different kind of places of being throughout the life and the ministry of Jesus, how no matter what it was that he was going through in life, that he was able to turn his heart and he was able to turn his mind to the Father. You know, Jesus says, unless you abide in me and I abide in you, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. And I'm here to tell you guys today, as your pastor, that there is no other time probably in your life where you and I need to be deeply abiding in God. I mean, very practically speaking, you guys, if your ratio of input is more talk radio than Bible or podcasts, or things are going to turn your attention to the heart of God and the mind of God, you need, to, you need to change that. You need to reverse that. We need to reverse that. Or else we're going to just get swept up in a very strong jet stream that is, that is, that is pushing in this culture right now. And what's beautiful when you look at Jesus is no matter what was going on in his life and ministry, whether he was on a mountaintop or in a valley, that his heart and his life were always centered in and directed to God. So look with me, if you would, beginning in Luke chapter 4. This is not necessarily chronological. So you might go, well, you know, how come you're not starting with the very beginning? And well, some of it, yeah, just, just, just walk with me here. We're talking about different seasons of life, okay? So Luke chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 1. In the first season of life, where I want to encourage you to develop a God consciousness is in the desert is in the desert. Luke chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Not every wilderness season of our life is from the devil. Not every wilderness season of our life is circumstantial. Sometimes in our following Jesus, we find ourselves in a desert. We find ourselves in a wilderness where for 40 days, could you imagine that? For 40 days, he was intensely and purposefully tempted by the devil. I have a hard time being tempted by the devil for 40 minutes, let alone 40 days. But the enemy was targeting him. Guys, there are times, there are strategic seasons in your life, listen to me, where the enemy knows that something is around the corner. And he'll try to discourage you He'll try to uh, break up your marriage. He'll try to get you to quit because he's aware that something is happening around the corner that you and I don't. So for 40 days, the enemy says, if I can get this guy out of pocket early, he's not going to be a threat anymore. She's not going to be a threat anymore. Guys, listen, it wasn't coincidence that Pharaoh killed all the babies at two years old and under. Because if you can kill the babies at two years old, you don't have to worry about deliverers when they rise up and recognize who they are in God. There's a reason why Herod killed all the babies two years old and under. Let's keep reading here. He was for 40 days tempted by the devil, ate nothing during those days. At the end of them, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you really are the son of God, then tell these stones to become bread. Which is amazing because God the Father, just a few chapters prior, says to Jesus, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The enemy, the enemy strategy is to always get you to question who God is 
Genesis chapter 3, and to question who you are, Luke and Matthew chapter 4. Do you see that? Anytime you start questioning who you are as a son or daughter of God, that's not from God. It's not even from you. That's from the enemy. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. He's actually quoting Deuteronomy and the rest of that verse is, man shall not live on bread alone, but what? But on every word that proceeds, that ushers out, that is inspired and comes forth from the very mouth of God. We could read the rest of this. You can find that Jesus is tempted three times in various ways. He emerges victorious because in the desert, he's not trying to fight this battle by himself. Do you hear me? He's not trying to fight the battle in the desert by himself. He's not just trying to muster up his willpower. He's not trying to go toe-to-toe with the enemy and, and show how spiritually strong he is. What is the desert season of our lives? What's the wilderness season? Some of you might be there right now. In fact, does anybody feel like you're in a wilderness season? A wilderness season is where all the resources, spiritually, even physically, mentally, emotionally, seems like all the resources have run dry. Right? A wilderness season is where resources are scarce. A wilderness season is where things that we had readily available to us, our conveniences and our comforts, they're gone. In some way, all of us are going through a type of wilderness season right now, culturally and societally. I want to go to the movie theater. Why? Because it feels good. I love the movie theater. It's not, it's not available, right? So that's not quite a desert season. <laughs> But there are certain types of conveniences and comforts that are available unto us in regular life. And in a desert season, they're taken away. Okay? Some of the beauty of being able to interact with each other. Some of the beauty of being able to see each other's faces and each other's smiles. Uh, some of the beauty of having the entire family together. It's gone away. We're, we're experiencing a type of wilderness season right now. Some of you guys are experiencing that relationally. Some of you guys are experiencing that with hopes and dreams that you've been praying for and believing God for for months, even years, and you feel like this is just a barren wasteland. Why am I not seeing fruit in my life? That's part of the season of life. There are wilderness seasons in our journey of following Jesus. And what do we do? How do we cultivate a God consciousness in the wilderness season? One of the things, there are many, but one of the things here that I look to is that Jesus' response when the enemy comes at him in the wilderness is to look to his deposits of the word of God. To look to his deposits of the word of God. Now, I don't know much about agriculture. I wouldn't say that I've got the greenest thumb in the room, but I do know this, that if you put a seed in the ground and you take care of the soil, that seeds are going to do what seeds do. Right? That air and temperature and time and water and soil preparation and all of those things, it does something and it releases something in the seed and we're not able to control the timing of that. But we know that if we've got that seed in the ground and we've been responsible and when we've tended that thing, the life that is in that seed, the strength that is in that seed, the fruit that is in that seed, the sustenance that is in that seed, it's going to come forth at some point. And here's the thing. I believe that when you and I are living in seasons where it's not desert land, that's not the time to try to start sowing seed, <laughs> right? That's time 
to start drawing on the seed that you and I have put in our spiritual life. Here's the question for you. What reserves are you pulling on? What resources and reserves are you pulling on when all of the conveniences and comforts and the abundance of life are stripped away? You've got to have something to draw on. You have to have something to draw on. You know, in this season of COVID, there are a lot of us who have been tested in a lot of different ways. I've heard that the mental health situation that is happening, which is a very, very real issue, it is escalating. Marriages are being fractured. Marriages are being destroyed. Why? Because there were fractures that were there in times of plenty. There, there were fractures that were never examined and dealt with when everything was good. And now all of a sudden, everything is not good. Okay? And all the things that could distract us and all the things that could fill up our time and our energy and attention, they're gone away. And all we got, we, we, got the, we got the reality of where the relationship is right now. And then you take away the fact that for some people, going away to work is actually damage control. You understand what I'm saying? Where you have a husband or a wife who would rather spend 8 to 10 or 12 hours away from their spouse, and now all of a sudden they're in quarantine, and they've got to spend 8 to 10 to 12 hours with their wife and their kids. They don't know what to talk about because they've never cultivated intimacy. They've never learned how to deal with their issues. They've never forgiven their, their hurts. They've never learned how to, to build conversation with each other. What do we do with that? Guys, I'm telling you, you have to have reserves. All of you financial people understand this. Colin, come on, back me up, man, right? You understand that, listen, if you don't put money away and let that junk compound for a rainy day, you're going to be hurting. Spiritually, it's the same thing. In the wilderness, our faith in God is tested. And in the wilderness, we find out whether or not we have any reserves that we have sown in the time of plenty. Remember Joseph? Remember Joseph? For those of you guys who don't remember Joseph, apparently no one remembers Joseph this morning. He had a dream. There were seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And what did he do in the years of plenty? Took 20, he stored up all the harvest, took 20% and he sowed it. Why? Because he knew that plenty is not forever. That there will be dry seasons in your life. Guys, listen to me. There will be dry seasons in your life. So cultivate your heart in God now, today. Cultivate your God consciousness today. Sow the word of God inside of you. I, for some reason, Psalm 1 has just been stirring inside of me. And Psalm 1 verse 2 says, "The man." let's go there. Psalm 1 verse 2. By the way, I, I know we all love our, our, our digital phones and, and iPads, but man, I'm going to encourage you guys, bring a Bible. Bring a Bible. Man, get familiar with your Bible. Okay, there's something about reading your Bible and reading it over and over where, man, that you mark things up and in the wilderness, you just, you just know, bam, 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 it's right here. It's on the right side of the page in the left column. And I just, I, I lived in that thing and that verse got me through, man. You, you can't do that in a digital platform. Man, pick up a Bible. Bring your Bible to church. Read your Bible, guys. Get it inside of you. 
And you say, well, I don't understand it. Read it anyways. Read it, meditate on that thing. Think about what God is saying to you. You don't remember what you had for lunch last week. Okay, it don't, it don't matter. Just get that stuff. Feed your spirit, man. Psalm chapter one, verse two. His delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight, he takes pleasure. He enjoys he finds delight in the truth of God's word. Look at this. And he meditates on the word day and night. He thinks about the word. How do you develop a God consciousness? How do you cultivate a God awareness in the wilderness? You develop an ability to meditate on the word of God day and night. What does this look like practically? It means that the first thing when you wake up in the morning, you're, you're thinking about the word of God. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a note card. Maybe it's a scripture, maybe it's a chapter, but you're cultivating rhythms where you're meditating, you're thinking about what God says. You're thinking about what God says, okay? On your commute, you're listening to a podcast. You're listening to the scripture uh, audio, okay? And you're thinking about it. Before you go to bed, you're not thinking about the latest Netflix show. You're thinking about what does God say? What does God say? What is true? What does God say when the nations rage? He says, look to me, right? What does God say about this right now? The interesting thing about, we know what every political platform says. We have no idea what God says. Meditate on his word day and night. Look at this verse three. He says, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Guys, they're gonna be dry seasons. Develop a God consciousness in those seasons. Number two, in our lives, I just put right here in Jesus's life, we see that there are mourning seasons. What does that mean? Well, if we look here in Luke chapter four, we actually touched base on this a few weeks ago. At the end of Luke chapter four, verse 42 and verse 44, Luke chapter four, verse 42, through 44, Jesus is experiencing revival. Everything he touches is, is being hit by the supernatural reality of heaven. And people are wanting him to stay. There's so many demands that are in his life. But Jesus understood that there are mourning times in, in the life of God. And by mourning, what I mean here is that there are spiritual rhythms and spiritual habits and spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices that we have to cultivate in the life of God. Listen, if I want a relationship with my wife, I have got to set time aside to look at her, to look in her eyes, to see her, to notice her, to hear her, to get into her heart, to ask her questions, to find out what she's afraid of, to find out what she's excited about, to find out what the greatest challenges she's facing. Any relationship in your life, you guys, takes time. It takes time. There's a book that I'm reading right now. It's being a very, very helpful book, very timely book. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, written by a megachurch pastor in Oregon who essentially burned out, and he says, I've got to make some changes. And I'm telling you, it's a phenomenal book. If you need a book right now in your life to help you cultivate emotional and spiritual health, this is a very, very good book. It's written by John Mark Comer, the ruthless elimination of hurry. But he's got a couple of quotes in here as he talks about disciplines. I thought this was going to read these and we're going to look at Luke chapter four. A discipline is any activity, listen to this, any activity that I can do by direct effort. Any activity that I can do by direct effort. I can wake up earlier. 
Some of you are like, I can't do that. (laughs) You can do this with some direct effort. Getting into the scriptures, developing a deeper prayer life, cultivating intimacy with your uh, key relationships, writing, reading, listening. These are things that you can do by your direct effort. And these things will eventually enable me to do that which currently I cannot do by direct effort. A discipline is any activity that I can do by direct effort that will eventually over time enable me to do things that I cannot now do by my direct effort. There are things that we, like, listen, if you try to throw a couple of, you know, 245s on the bar uh, on each side, I can't do that. There's no way, that would crush me. But you know what, if I took a little bit over time, a little bit over time, if I went to the incline right now, I would, I would literally die. <laughs> literally. Like then someone was going to have to like carry me down from the incline. But if I go out and I walk 10 minutes a day and then I increase that to 50, I can do that by direct effort. And I increase that to 15 to 20 to 30 to 40. I can get to the incline, something that I will eventually be able to do. It's the same thing in God. Why can I not, why can I not overcome this temptation? You can overcome this temptation. Develop disciplines develop spiritual habits that will carry you through every season of life. Not in a legal manner, you guys. Not in this legal sense of I have to do this in order to demonstrate my worth before God. No, you are deeply loved and accepted by God. These are are habits that help you live the fullness of the Christian life. They help you tap into the power and the capability that are available for you in God. It's not all God, it's a both and. We work together with God. Grace infuses our life. You hear me today? Look at this. This is by Dallas Willard, another wonderful, beautiful quote. The spiritual disciplines are activities of mind and body, activities of mind and body, that are purposefully undertaken. This is not a coincidence. This is not a, maybe I'll get to it. This is not, hey, if I feel like it, let me give you a little bit of an insider tip here. You will never feel like it. Never. I always feel like steak and potatoes over salads. Always. Always. I never feel like working out. Guys, listen, I don't always feel like reading my Bible. I don't feel like reading intellectually stimulating it. That's Jonathan. Jonathan is a guy, he wakes up, he lives for it. Where's Bonhoeffer? Where is, where is, I can't even remember all, he's, he's, he knows more theologians than, than it's, it's incredible. I don't, I don't, I don't live for that, right? I got to discipline myself for this. Activities of mind and body purposefully, intentionally taken to bring, this is amazing, our personality and our total being, the way you think, the things you think about, Your emotional health, your emotional state, your will, your ability to choose. It brings your personality and your entire being into cooperation with God. Anybody want to cooperate with God? Does anybody want to cooperate with God? Does anybody want to be able to hear the voice of God when you're walking downtown and someone approaches you and you're like, I wish that I would have cultivated the ability to hear God's voice so that I could engage heaven and earth right now. Does anybody want that? The disciplines will help you with that. You guys, the remainder of this is the disciplines enable us more and more to live in a power that is beyond us. So there are morning seasons. We have to cultivate a lifestyle in God. 
we will not make it on 30-minute sermons a week. You will become a casualty of war. Do you eat food 30, like, do you have one meal a week? You would, uh, you would be angry. You would be hangry. <laughs> You'd be so hang. Most of you guys are so hangry right now because you're living on 30 minutes of spiritual food a week. You guys, this is not condemning. This is just practical. You can't do it. You can't do it. No victory, no strength, no success, no power in our lives. Guys, we got to rise above. We got to rise above this. Okay. Here's another season in our life. The mountain season. Oh, we love this. There are mountaintop seasons in the Christian life. By the way, Luke chapter four, that reference was very simply, Jesus got up early and he spent time with God. When there were no, you're like, what was Luke chapter four? Okay, he got up early and Jesus was busier than all of us. He had more demands than all of us. Okay, and you know what he did? Because he was able to spend time with God, let me give you something really practical. I'm working on this right now in my life. I say yes to more things than I should. There are things that I should be saying no to. There are people that I should be saying no to. There are people that ask for my time, that out of this bleeding heart of mine, I say yes to them. And I take on somebody else's urgent emergency, right? And I can't be doing that anymore, you guys, right? Things that happen in life because I didn't think ahead, because I didn't prepare ahead, steals time, distractions, stealing my time. Guys, just Google right now, Google smartphone time statistics. It'll boggle your mind. It'll blow you away. I'm talking thousands of hours, thousands of hours, all right? Hundreds of hours a week. It's insane. It's insane. Stealing your life. Mountaintop experiences. All right, what are these? There are moments in life, and there's kind of a double nuance here. The mountaintop experiences are our life are where we, we, we can relish in the victories of God. Like, listen, the entire Christian life is not just a chore. It's not just slugging it out and sloshing it out and grinding it out every day, hoping we're going to make it. I believe that God steals us away. I believe that there are times when in our faithful following of Jesus, man, we experience the life and the victory and the joy of living in God. Anybody experience that? You know what I'm talking about? And they're beautiful. They're sweet moments. You know, when I was a youth pastor, we used to call those youth camp moments. You know what I'm talking about? When you're able to pull away and you're just experiencing, oh my God, you're crying, you're snotting all over the place, your emotions are heightened. God, you're so near to me. And I'm not trying to make light of that. I'm just saying there are times in God when it just seems like all pistons are firing. It seems like everything seems to be going our way. I pray and things happen. Like those are mountaintop moments. They're amazing. Matthew chapter 17, Matthew chapter 17, verses one through nine, we see Jesus take his three closest buddies and they go, he goes up to a mountain, Right? And on that mountain, what happens? Two of the heroes of the faith, Elijah and Moses, they appear. And it's like, oh my goodness, the voice of God is heard. In the mountaintop experiences, it seems like that veil between heaven and earth is thinner. And we can hear and experience and feel and encounter God in ways that are just, they're just easier. And we need those in God. What do we do in those moments? Turn our hearts toward God. Relish those receive from God when that veil is thin. I think mountaintop experiences, you think about Moses. When Moses would go up to a mountain, guys, listen, here's the other nuance of this. There are times and seasons of our life where we need to intentionally block out big chunks of time. 
There are things that you cannot hear in a 20 minute quiet time. Do you hear me? There's, there, there's, there's traction that I made with my wife and kids in nine days and no cell phone reception in Washington that I could never get in little 20 minute, you know, one-offs here and there. It's impossible. Sometimes this is why things like men's retreats and women's retreats and mission trips and camps and 21 days of fasting and 10 days of fasting. This is why these things matter in the Christian faith. Sometimes you just need to pull away and you need to soak. You need to dig, you need to dig deeper. You need to do to do, you need to eliminate everything and kind of do a holy disruption. That's what I think mountaintop moments are. And sometimes in life, you need to plan for those. You need to plan for those. You know, our sabbatical ended up being suspended this year, but I'm telling you, I plan on taking that sabbatical. And people are like, what are you going to do? Are you just going to just like catch up on every Netflix show known to man? I'm like, are you kidding me? I got two primary agendas and we're scheduling this strategically. Some of our sabbatical is going to fall in the summer so that I can dig deep deposits into my children. And some of my sabbatical is going to be while they're in school so that I can steal away and hear God for the future of this church so that I can know how to navigate the challenges that are before us, so I can receive fresh revelation that could blow your minds and change our lives and strengthen us. And say, that's so funny. And, and set us up, you guys, and position us to where God wants us to be. I can't do that in the normal rhythms of daily life. I need to pull away. I need to fast and shut things out and get alone with God. My soul needs to be healed and repaired. Sometimes you need to pull away to a mountain to do that. All right, next season of life is a valley season. I love the mountaintops, but most of our life is spent in the valley. The majority of the Christian life is spent in the valley. And the valley is that place where it's hard sometimes. You're just living day by day. Sometimes the valley seems very mundane. It just seems like I'm doing the same thing day in and day. It feels like I'm just clocking in and clocking out. What do we do in the valley? The valley is the place where vision seems a little hazy sometimes. The valley is where I'm learning how to be faithful in the day in and day out reality of life in God. The valley is when, do you guys remember in Matthew chapter 17, read this on your own, but Jesus goes up to the mountaintop and Peter goes, we need to stay here. This is incredible. Let's live at youth camp forever. <laughs> Chili cheese nachos every night after service. <laughs> right? Some of you guys have never been to youth camp before. <laughs> right? Snow cones and s'mores every night. It's amazing. He's like, we got to stay here. And then the father pipes up and he goes, listen, 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 this is my beloved son whom I'm so well pleased in. You got to listen to him. And Jesus knew that right down on the other side of that mountain, anybody know what was going on? There was a father who had a son who was demon possessed. That's valley. That's valley. That's valley. That's where the grind, that's where the struggle happens in the valley, right? And when I think of the valley, I think about that story where Jesus takes his disciples away. He is blitzed. And then he looks up and he sees a crowd. And the crowd is pulling on him and tugging on him. And they're like, hey, we, 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 we need something from you. And Jesus says, you got you to feed these guys. And what happens in the story? They're like, we don't have anything. 
He goes, what do you have? We got a couple of pieces of fish and a couple of loaves of bread. Okay, great. Here's what you do in the valley. Listen, you take what you have, no matter how small it is, and you bring it to God. What do I do in the valley? Take what you have, bring it to God. Take what you have, bring it to God. And in the valley, you learn to see the faithfulness of God. No matter what you have, he will take the little that you and I have, little energy, little time, little strength, little bandwidth, little margin. He'll take that. He'll take the little resources. God, this is yours. Thank you for it. Bless it and help me meet the needs that are in the valley. There'll be valley seasons of our life. Most of our life is a valley season. Finally, almost finally, we see that in Jesus's life, there's a garden and a cross season. There's a garden across season. And guys, listen, if you joined this movement of relational intimacy with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit called Christianity, and no one has ever told you that you've got to come to a cross, I am so sorry that I have to be the first one to tell you that living in God will require some seasons of suffering and struggle and dying. Dying. Dying to ourselves dying to this ugly demonic monster called the flesh inside of us that hates God and wants to do what it wants to do. That is living inside of you and me. And what do we do? What is the garden and the cross season of our lives? What is that? It's the place of suffering and it's the place of surrender. Go with me just here for a few minutes to a couple of verses beginning in Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, and it's gotten even more silent than it was if I didn't get shouts on the mountaintop season. There is no way we're going to shout here on the, on the garden season. What is the garden? Luke chapter 22, verse 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. The disciples followed him. And on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Take this. This is hard. This hurts. Anybody ever experienced anything in God and you're like, this hurts. This is painful. I don't want to do this. I don't want to deal with those childhood things. I don't want to forgive that person who betrayed me. I don't want to humble myself, right? This is the cross. This is the garden. When we come face to face with the reality of the stronghold of sin and our flesh in our lives, and there are seasons when God will target your flesh. There are seasons. And what do we do in the garden season? We surrender. Not my will. Your will be done. We say yes in the garden season. We say yes in the garden season. We say, God, pr produce new wine in the garden season. We say, God, I don't want to deal with this nasty flesh anymore. Kill it in the garden season. We say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me in the life. I now live by faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me in the garden season. God, I surrender this to you. God, put my pride to death. Put my resentment to death. Put my lust to death. Put it to death, God, as I surrender to you. I trust you. You're going to resurrect a new man, a new woman inside of me. Here's what else happens in the garden. 
Do you guys remember after he emerges from the garden, he is accused. He is accused falsely. And the thing I love about this, which what, look, look at right here at, uh, at Matthew chapter 27. Let's look at Matthew chapter 27. We're almost done, guys. I'm going to shoot back over to Luke, but look at Matthew. I like the way, I like some of the details that Matthew had on this occurrence. I didn't see it in the other gospels. Matthew 27, verse 11, Jesus is now being accused. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor. The governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? You've said so, Jesus replied. This man is on trial. He's about to be murdered. And he's like, you, you say so. So full of peace, right? So full of peace. Man, I just know if I were being falsely, falsely accused, I would come unglued. Y'all know, y'all, y'all have done it. Verse 12, when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Sometimes the best thing you can do under accusation is to remain silent and let God vindicate you. You've got to know that. You've got to know you fighting and struggling and proving and defending and, and getting your vengeance is not helping you. Sometimes you just have to say, God, I'm going to just be silent and I'm going to trust that you're going to be my defender and you're going to be my advocate and you're going to stand up and you are going to fight this battle for me in the garden and cross season. And finally, you guys remember Jesus is on the cross and he says two things. He says, Father, forgive them. One of the hardest things that happens, I think, in the garden and the cross season of our lives is when we've been hurt, when we've been offended, when we've been falsely accused, when we've been betrayed, when we've been cheated on, when we've been taken advantage of, when we've been lied about, when our name has been smeared. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them. I cannot finish my assignment. The greatest assignment, guys, listen to me. The entire sake of the world was hanging on that one moment on whether or not Jesus could forgive. And Jesus forgives them for they know not what they do. And then he says, into your hands, I commit my spirit. What happens in the garden and cross season? We surrender, we remain silent, we forgive, and we entrust our lives to God the Father. Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.